Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Why Not Both, sponsored by Under the Radar Magazine. We are a podcast that explores how our multiple passions inform our identities. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician and therapist in Los Angeles. For this week's episode, we actually got to go to Iceland Airways in Reykjavik, which was absolutely amazing. Not only is it an amazing music festival, but the city itself is just so wonderful. And it was such just a fantastic opportunity to get to explore all these new venues and artists, as well as all the nooks and crannies of the city, and really test the power of the windproof coat that I got. (laughs) The wind is not messing around there. So if you like what you hear on our podcast, you can like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also join us on social media. We are at WNB, the podcast on Instagram, as well as on Twitter. My first interview for this episode is with the artist Madame Gandhi, and we got to record in the basement of Fisher, which is an absolutely beautiful perfumery as well as art experience in the heart of the city. And they very kindly lent us their basement in their gorgeous home that was built in 1873. I hope you enjoy. This is so cool. I've never seen anyone use Ableton Live for a podcast, so that's really sick. Right? This is this is so typical of me that I'm just like, of course I'm being the most extra to record a podcast. No, I love it. Are you a Virgo? Is that why you're saying that? Hilariously, I'm an Aquarius. Amazing. So it's just like, oh, are you going to do something a different way? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Love it. Are you January or February? February. Beautiful. I'm February too. <gasps> What's mm-hmm. your birthday? 21st. Oh, you're Pisces. Mm-hmm. You're shortly after me on the 17th. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow, beautiful. Oh. beautiful. I have a lot of good friends who are right there. My uncle's the 17th. I just traveled with someone who's the 17th. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're like right on that cusp. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> so the first question that I usually ask everyone is, what do you do? And is there a better question to actually ask? Mm, uh, I play the drums and make music that elevates and celebrates feminine voices and I would say a better way to ask the question is what are you passionate about? Oh, I love that. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about making other people feel joyful. I'm passionate about encouraging everyone to step into the fullest of their potential, including myself. I'm passionate about teaching folks that guilt is a wasted emotion and that we should actually take the things that we've been privileged to have and use it to make the world a better place. I love that guilt is a wasted emotion. Mm. That's fantastic. How do you express that in your music, do you feel? I think being brave enough to say, yes, I've been given the chances to play my drums um, when many you know, folks may not uh, be able to do that because of time constraints or financial constraints or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, because in the music industry and playing music is actually a very front-loaded financial endeavor. I mean, yes. That's why most people have to sign to labels because you need money up front to invest in something in order to even generate returns on it. Right. And so the way I was able to do that for myself was sort of doing small consulting projects and public speaking gigs that would fund oh, my own work um, to then put it back into making songs and music videos and things like that. Uh, but I think um, the way that I embody this notion that guilt is a wasted emotion is simply by saying drumming and DJing and producing music is something that gives me a lot of joy and how do I use that joy as a fuel to ignite other people's happiness and um, I've been going into the prison system twice a month and teaching beat making and DJing to incarcerated youth wow what's that experience like it's it's so powerful you know it it, uh, in the beginning 
I was very excited about it and there were one or two tough experiences where you get pushed back because the kids in the juvenile hall are like, no one gives a fuck about us, what are you doing here? Like, they don't want someone to come in and make them feel like charity, obviously. Like, who right. would ever want that? Right, and it's and also so, hard if people aren't, like, caring for you to then take in care. It sounds like 100%. it's very foreign. 100%. Yeah. And you, the, also, like, tough behavior is what keeps you alive in a prison system. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, but I've also learned being on the other side that I love when someone who's really good at what they do just comes and shares their happiness with me on like on like a human to human level yeah so I really tried to like take that um, as my base level for operation so when I go in I'm like listen this is something that I've been working on this week what y'all think you know like, <laughs> you know do you love it do you hate it and one time I came into the prison system wearing a shirt that's my new merch line that uh-huh. I did a collaboration with a local LA brand called us by design and the uh-huh. shirt says let boys be feminine and oh, I wore it because I knew wow. it would uh, start up some interesting conversation you know yes. I love treating the boys not like I have something to teach them but that we both have something to teach each other yes I might be older big sister status so I've lived more years on the earth but uh, I love going in as a mutual exchange and so I wore that shirt knowing it would strike up a conversation yes and I actually thought the conversation would be negative. You know, I thought they would be like, because the last time we were in the prisons, we talked about why do we use the words like girly and feminine and gay as an insult. You know, right. we challenged the boys on right. that. So this time around, I wore it. And the first thing that happened was this young boy was like, Miss, 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 I love that shirt. I love that shirt. You know why? Because I'm feminine. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, what a sweetheart. And they're like, I see you. I see you. And he loved the shirt. And then he was like, Miss, Miss, you know what my uh, my artist name is? And I was like, yo, what's your artist name? And he's like, it's Best Intentions. And I was like, whoa, wow. that's amazing. And he's like, you know why it's Best Intentions? And I was like, why? And I thought he was going to say something like, because I want the best for everybody. He said that the initials of Best Intentions are B.I., and that he identifies as <gasps> bi. Yes! And I was like, the fact that you're so brave to say that in a system that is deeply toxically masculine is mm-hmm. such a testament to your own personal power as a young person. And it really, really touched me and inspired me. So That's this is amazing. the whole thing with guilt as a wasted emotion. Like if I went in being like, oh, well, I don't want to insult them and I don't want to make them feel bad. So I'm going to like dim my own light to like make them feel good. That's not what they're about. You right. should come as yourself right. and let them come to you as themselves. And and that's always been the times when the interactions are the most empowering. Yeah, because it sounds like, when you said it to me, it was like, it sounds like it was provocative in the way that it would provoke people to think anyway, and feel no and connect what. with you. Totally. Yeah, and I was like, wow. And I was thinking when you said that, I was like, who inspired you to do that? Like, who are the people in your life that you saw their light? And you're like, oh. I think I pay a lot of attention to things that inspire me in general. I think I've, as someone who's studied women's studies and is is passionate about gender liberation, I'm always paying attention to what are kind of like the pulses of the times. And I had seen so many feminist slogans when I ran the London Marathon bleeding freely Mm -hmm. on my menstrual cycle and that story went viral, but it was the phrase, the future is female, Mm -hmm. that spoke to me more than anything because it positioned femininity as something that was aspirational as opposed Mm -hmm. to teaching us to constantly catch up to what the men are doing. And so I think it's usually phrases where I find femininity as something that is desirable that tend to inspire me as opposed to things that teach us to masculinize or perform masculinity in order right, to Right, like the whole like strong woman trope and precisely, things like that. Precisely. Yeah. Or like the fact that like strength is even something that we're aspiring to. Like of course we should all aspire to strength but usually we're always like see she's a badass woman see she's a strong woman like you're never gonna be like oh see he's a strong man like it's a little cheesy you know exactly it's taken, exactly it's taken for and there's 
default. And there's strength in, in nurturing, and there's strength in kindness, and there's Obviously. strength in so many different exactly. aspects and other than... And that's exactly yeah. what the messaging behind the Madame Gandhi project is about. Got it. And that makes sense, because I was going to ask you how it dovetails with your music and with your activism, but it sounds like the two are almost intrinsically tied together. It is, and I think for me, my, my music project is a little bit different than others in the sense that I started making music with the intention of using it as a medium to make change. Oh. Um, instead of uh, what happens very often, which is that folks uh, make their music and then sort of take on an activist career later in their life when they've mm -hmm. already become famous. Mm -hmm. So for me, my music is very much an intentionally chosen medium um, through which to convey a difficult message because music caters to the emotions. I love that. Do you, like I know that you said that obviously you're in uh, the prison system teaching them. Do you teach music elsewhere? Like do you teach workshops? Do you? It's a great question. Um, I used to give lessons and things like that and I do enjoy it, but I do think that I do really well when I'm in front of a, a large audience. I really oh. feed off of their pulse. And so I love taking my message and my passion and using it as an opportunity to teach, but I love doing it in a larger setting. I, I love see. being able to deliver keynotes. I love being able to have large audiences of kids. I love involving mm -hmm. them. I mm -hmm. just gave a big keynote speech in Indore, a city in India, at a conference oh, wow. called Round Square for mm -hmm. 700 high school kids from all around the world. And I was one of their um, three keynote speakers throughout the conference and at the end of the speech I invited whoever raised their hand to come and dance with me on the stage for oh my gosh. songs and they just loved it. Like <laughs> the first couple kids were brave, they raised their hand and got chosen. Then they realized, oh this is fun, this is safe, I can do this too. And then everyone it. was raising their hand, you know? Aww. And that in itself is sort of like a meta way to teach. It's like be right. first, go first, you know? I read that somewhere, actually. Someone was like, sometimes we pass people on the street and we don't smile because we're afraid of the rejection that they won't smile exactly, back. Exactly, But, like, they're afraid of you rejecting them, so... And seeing someone else, like, kind of putting yourself forward so that other people see that it's safe, because I think 100%. that... That's a big part of when you said, like, especially as music is very front-loaded financially, I think that also it's sometimes very front-loaded representationally. Mm -hmm. So if you don't see someone that's like you doing what you want to do, mm -hmm. you you're like... You won't be enough to do it. Exactly, because yeah. you think, like, you're like, do I... How do I do that? Totally. Do people like me do that? Totally. And I think the way to even get, um, you know, men and folks who are masculine center, like, part of the mission and part of the movement of feminism is actually to, like, encourage us as women and femmes to shine in our own light, because because when mm -hmm. we are doing things that allow us to feel confident and, and our best selves, it's easier for, for men and folks who have typically been um, in the oppressor category to come around and be part of our journey and be right. part of our mission and want right. to align with us. Anytime that I found myself complaining or sort of um, crying from disempowered anger, it's much harder for me to convey the exact same message than when I've done the work to make sure that I'm in a healthy, happy, positive place. And I'm saying the exact same thing, but it's much more received because it's coming from an empowered place. I was going to say it's the, it's the emotion behind what you're saying. Yes. And how did, how did you get into some of the consulting? Because as we were talking about that, you said that that ended up funding a lot of your art. Yeah. How did you get into doing that? Well, I went to Harvard Business School. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, can we high five? Is that going to be too loud on the mic? <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, it's interesting because Harvard Business School is the breeding ground of the capitalist patriarchy. And I think I sort of knew that, but I didn't actually know that until I went through the program. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of personal highs and lows for me. You know, the first year I was simultaneously touring as the drummer for MIA during oh my the Tangy tour, which was really powerful and I loved it. Um, and it almost shielded me from a lot of the like, 
problematic aspects of social culture at a place mm-hmm. like Harvard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just uh, bougie behavior, you know, renting out big boats and stuff to yeah, 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 just yeah. do nothing. And I am critical of that. I'll always be very vocal about that because it's a waste. It's like when you have privilege, instead of pretending it doesn't exist or like hiding it away and just secretly partying, I think it's so much more amazing to be like, yeah, I do come from a place of of privilege and, and sort of higher quote unquote higher education in a place like Harvard. What can I do to make the world better? And of course, exactly. Harvard teaches that. You know, they really do. But at the same time, they also are a business entity, so they do need folks who are going into the big, uh, you know, wealthy consulting, consulting and banking jobs to come right. back and fund the program. And and I I understand that from a uh, practical perspective. But mm-hmm. yeah, my second year. I remember thinking, how do I really take everything that I love about this education and use it for good and sort of like protect myself from the aspects of this that I don't really resonate and connect right. with? So the good aspects were learning things like emotional intelligence. Like, mm-hmm. can you read the mm-hmm. body language of the folks that you're intending to lead? Right. Um, can you be self-aware as a leader? What can you ask yourself about how your strengths and weaknesses are operating in a business context? I think those aspects really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Another strategy and, and sort of lesson we learned was this concept of blue ocean strategy where instead of trying to go into the quote-unquote red ocean where everybody else is competing, how do you identify unique advantages that you have that nobody else has that can be doubled down on to make a really unique business entity operating in the same um, industry? Right. And so taking those things and then being able to say, hey, I'm equipped to consult for music companies. I did a project for Spotify. I did a project for D'Addario, which is a drum and uh, guitar company. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a project for TomTom Magazine. I did... Um, a project for one other company that I remember that I loved doing it. What was it? Um, I've done so many. <laughs> I actually did one for the Grammys. It was really cool. That's they had cool. a business plan competition, which was really, really awesome. I did one for the Recording Academy. So yeah, these different types of projects really um, flex my muscles as a critical thinker in the music industry, mm-hmm. but also simultaneously allowed me to fund my own music and every person actually can do that it's not about going to business school that's not really the lesson from this part of the podcast the lesson is how do we be smart and self-identify all the different skill sets that any of us have as a human and think how can we employ those skill sets in an efficient way to then fund other aspects that we're even more passionate about well and I think that also in regards to identity there are some people that feel that if they are funding their music through something that is not directly the creation of music that somehow they're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. or that something is flawed or Mm -hmm. that their music's not good enough Mm -hmm. and I think that we have this false narrative around that that if you're an artist that that's all you do when in Mm -hmm. fact like people have so many strengths always and when you were talking about that in regards to capitalism I spoke to um, an Icelandic artist yesterday that it was fascinating speaking to someone that was almost in a way outside of the American capitalist system Mm -hmm. about that they had no shame about doing other jobs Mm -hmm. and one of the things they brought up was how understanding their colleagues were about the Mm -hmm. fact that they do both Mm -hmm. whereas it's so fascinating that in America we do have to think about all right well if I want to make this art how do I fund it of course and it's so different coming from a place of like them people who feel shame that they have to fund it. Totally. You're so right. You're so right. I think that's exactly true. And I think for me, the way I always tried to combat that was just to say, how do I at least stay within the industry of the thing that I'm trying to fund? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to mm-hmm. consult for random companies, even though theoretically the Harvard Business School degree does protect, prevent, uh, prepare you to be able to consult for all types of industries. Yeah. In fact, yeah, yeah. sometimes when you come from a different industry, it's even more rewarded because you're thinking about the industry you're consulting for in a totally different way. Right. But I wasn't interested in that. I said, I want to consult for music so that the kinds of people I'm meeting and networking with are in the very industry that I'm eventually trying to break 
into. Right. So right. I think, you know, the more we can think about how to employ our skill sets to allow us to stay in the industry we're passionate about, that's the most compelling success story. And I also really liked what you said about in regards to privilege, because I think when people hear the word privilege, either they see it in terms of oppression or they see it, if they are privileged, as an insult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I don't mm -hmm. think that privilege is an insult. It's an acknowledgement of the reason, your place. 100%. I think the reason it's why like, people don't like it is because they think instantly that the person who's saying you're privileged is negating the accomplishments that they have made. Yes. And I think yes. it's both. It's yes and. Like for me, even speaking English is a privilege. Yes. The fact that my parents have education beyond a high school degree is a privilege. Many yes. immigrant families who come into the States from abroad often lack higher education. But yes. it's a privilege that my two immediate parents both held MBAs. So for me, as a kid, it's a natural progression to want to aspire to the same level exactly. of high school education. Exactly. So if someone's like, yeah, but you come from a person of privilege, I have to look at myself and say, okay, I can either take that as an insult, like they're negating my ambition and my mm -hmm. success, or I can say, yes, I had this leg up and I'm doing my best to work my ass off to step into that privilege, learn everything I can so that I can make the world a better place. Exactly, because it sounds like what you're doing with your privilege is similar, like, same thing. My parents both have, they're both retired lawyers. Mm -hmm. And so same thing where I come from a family with higher education. And so with that, I always think I'm like, okay, I lucked out. Mm -hmm. How do I help people with this? Totally. totally. Yeah, <laughs> like, the irony though is that like sometimes when I listen to other folks talk about their privilege, whether it's men doubling down on gender privilege mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. Caucasian folks talking about white privilege, it's ironic because I always want people to acknowledge it. And then when I listen, sometimes they like go down too far the list of like the good things they have going on in their life. Like you listen to politicians speak even in this last democratic um, debate that I mm -hmm. saw. And you know, one of the, the leaders from Seattle, I think he's the governor. He obviously someone had written this for him and it was actually well delivered mm -hmm. and, and people really received it. But my personal criticism was like, he said, I've never had to experience what it's like for someone to stop me over for driving because of the color of my skin. I've never had to experience what it's like to not be let into a restaurant because I'm a um, queer person. I've never had mm -hmm. to experience what it's like to be turned down for a job that I think I'm equally capable of, you know, compared to my mm -hmm. male counterpart. Mm -hmm. And he was like going on this list of like all the privileges that he does have. And I was like, <laughs> bruh, like, what are you going to do about it? You know? Yeah, you're like, that's nice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think, you know, we have to kind of be so confident and so secure about where we come from, mm -hmm. but be more, way more vocal about what it is we're going to do with it. Right. And I think that in a lot of ways, like in some ways, this podcast is about amplifying the voices of people who do do multiple things mm -hmm. and about how to inspire others and to give voice to people that aren't just, you know... White dudes. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> Not to discount white dudes, but... No, but the whole system is designed for, for white cis men to, to thrive and succeed. And so yeah. that's why anybody else who's outside of those gender or, like, identity uh, identifiers um, will have a more difficult time. Um, exactly. And so giving people, not like a rubric, but giving people inspiration of how they can achieve multiple things mm -hmm. and how they can delve into multiple fields. And I was wondering, I was like, how did you juggle touring and business school and even now doing all of the activities you do with music? Like, how do you do you sleep? 
I, you know, <laughs> I love being asked this question because recently I haven't been sleeping. We've been working our asses off, you know, and I think when you're managing your own project, at the end of the day, I can be frustrated with folks I work for if they don't fully, you know, do their job. But yeah. I never really blame anybody else. I always know it's on me. You know, and at the end of the day, a good leader will take full responsibility for their own ship. And... I think when I was younger, I just wanted to do what I loved, and I thought it was like way more cool to be able to be drumming for MIA in the evenings rather than like socializing with other folks who are really trying to break into like banking and consulting, which has nothing right, to do right, with right, me. Right. But then also in the daytime, instead of sleeping in all day, like many folks, like oh that I would be doing if I was not <laughs> right. at school, I would be sleeping in the daytime um, to be using that time to be learning whatever I can about the business world so that I'm equipped with all the tools that I need. I think I just knew that it would be a source of self-empowerment. And the right. more we invest in our own skill sets, the more we are equipped to come up against oppression and speak uh, truth to power and speak wisely about these different things. And then I think now it's the same, sis. You know, it's just about being so stoked on whatever it is that I'm doing. Like, yeah. I'm so overwhelmed to come to Iceland. Like, we could barely, I barely packed my bag and closed the last zipper before the Yes! Come, you know? Yes! I, oh, um, I so feel you on yeah, that. I left like, at 7 a.m. on Tuesday and arrived at 6 a.m. on Wednesday and was just like, did I just time travel? What planet am I on? Right? <laughs> it felt overwhelming. And then I'm here and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, this is so awesome. This is why we do everything because we perform. Yes. And I hadn't performed in a while because I've been getting ready for my new album which just dropped Visions. Hey, congratulations. And, um, thank you. And so then now that I'm here I'm like oh yeah this is why we do everything. Yeah. To make new music and perform it for folks who will really inspire. Exactly. So I think and that's like, why. That's how we balance it. In completely world. mystical locations. Yeah. Like I've got to say there's there's no place like this place. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of, I know that, especially at Airwaves, it's like super hectic. <laughs> so thank you for taking time to hang no, out in, really cool. in an elf kitchen from 1873. Yeah, this is amazing. We're toasty. We're on the podcast. I enjoyed speaking about these different things. I think a lot of folks who balance multiple passions often have been told since childhood, including myself, like it's better to be a master of one thing than a jack of all trades. But at the end of the day, I think number one thing is happiness. Because why would you want to be a master of something? Because it makes you happy because you feel like you're excelling at a skill set but if being able to have different peaks of joy throughout one day also deliver joy it's it's important to step into that and yes. for me i've loved being the musician at a business school or the business mind in the independent art world and and being able to cross over and interact with so many different types of people such that my yes. own life experience is much more rich because of it so be yourself you know at the end of the day be honest about what makes you happy and thank you under the radar you are very welcome. Way to live your multifaceted life. Amen. My next interview is with the artist Mighty Bear, and they are one of the most striking artists I've come across in the last few years. I actually did go to Airwaves the year before, and that is where I first saw them perform and just was, ah, I was just dazzled. So I hope that you enjoy our interview all about their work as well as what they're usually up to in Reykjavik. So Mighty Bear, welcome to Why Not Both. Thank you. <laughs> awesome to be here at Iceland Airwaves. Mm -hmm. So the first question that I usually ask people is, what do you do? And is there a better question I could ask you? Um, probably not a better question, but what do I do? Um, I create music and visuals that are born in my glittery head. And I try to... <laughs> try to make that into reality so yeah that's fantastic 
Your head is very glittery. It is. I can vouch for that. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I love sparkly things. That makes you so happy. <laughs> and I, I kind of like want to counterbalance because um, my music tends to be dark and lyrically themed dark. Mm-hmm. So I just put on sparkles to balance it out. There you go. There you go. Well, you got to have the duality. Of course. How did you, like, which came first, the visuals or the music? Like, which informs which? Uh, the music came first, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always wanted to, um, I've always, like, been writing music since I was a kid. And I used to be in a metal band, and I still am. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to create something that was, like, purely mine. Mm-hmm. So um, we were, a few of us were trying to start a drag scene again in Iceland. Because mm-hmm. there wasn't any. Really? Yeah. Because you said, a, again, was there one and then it dwindled? Yeah, and then... yeah. It kind of dwindled down. And, and like, with the popularity of RuPaul's Drag Race and, like, drag coming into the mainstream. So it was, mm-hmm. like, five years ago, uh-huh. we decided to start, like, a drag show. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, some people that knew me from the scene were like, yeah, no, you can do music. Why don't you join us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, okay, then kind of Mighty Bear got born. Gotcha, gotcha. That's really fascinating. So when you say you like kind of restarted a drag scene, like what does that look like? Did you run nights? Like how yeah. did you how did you revive that? Uh, basically, yeah, we just started in a night. It's called um, Draksur, which is a very punny name if you know Icelandic. I was like, that's probably really funny in Icelandic. It is. It, is. <laughs> it, it basically means like um, a draft, like wind draft, but with the word drag in it. And right, uh, right. So it's a pun on drafty and drag yeah, somehow. Yeah. Gotcha. But it, like, it makes sense in Icelandic. Um, anyway, yeah, we decided to start these uh, monthly nights at uh, Gaukurin, mm-hmm. which is kind of our like queer alternative heaven in Iceland. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we started that show, and it became hugely successful. Amazing. Um, and it still is. It's, one of, it's, like, it's the only constant drag night here. It's... I was going to say, what's the audience like for drag night? Everybody. That's you awesome. You would be surprised. I mean, Iceland is very open. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the weird thing is, like, you get, like, the parents of performers and their friends, and then random people, and it's just it's a loving community so of sweet. weirdos. And the weird thing is, right now we have more drag kings. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting, but it's a huh. good thing. That's really cool. So when you have a night, like, I know that in LA there's a place called Hamburger Mary's where they have like mm-hmm. drag queen bingo and like stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you do different activities? Is it mainly performance? Is it ninety percent performance? Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, we have there's a show coming up where we're supporting um, uh, this woman called Baura. She's uh, kind of the Icelandic Edward Snowden. She's like. Um, Oh my god! She did a whistleblowing thing here in Iceland. Like she, she witnessed um, few politicians talking shit about gay people and uh, people with disabilities. And, wow! And she recorded the whole thing, <gasps> and all of them like sued her. So we're having a fundraiser thing. To oh my gosh! Pay for her legal fees. Wow! But yeah, it's um, it's a kind of a variety show. So it's not like you're. This is Iceland. We don't do things in the typical way. Right. So it's a, it's a variety show. So you get like. Standard old school drag queen acts. You get live music. You get like slam poetry stuff. Like oh, there's wow. a little bit of everything. Cause like all the performers are very like as I think we're like thirty in the group now. Oh wow! And we're all very different in what we do. I was gonna say, do you perform Mighty Bear stuff at the drag night or is it separate? I used to perform the Mighty Bear stuff at the drag nights. Oh. Kind of begin with, and then I kind of tried lip syncing and all that when it was like. 
why am I doing that? <laughs> like, wait, I actually yeah. make music. <laughs> yeah. But I haven't performed with them in a while because, like, Mighty Bear took its own direction and I'm kind of following that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, so that the audience knows, like, I definitely approached you last year because you were so sparkly. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe Mighty Bear to someone who hasn't seen Mighty Bear? Like, it obviously is informed by the drag scene, but it's so much more. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say, imagine if David Bowie was born in 90-something <laughs> and he listened to a lot of Marilyn Manson. <laughs> pretty accurate well, kind of yeah but well i think what also struck me about it is that it was drag but it had not like a medieval aspect to it but like the mask that you wear has almost mm -hmm. like not fantasy i'm trying to think of the right word for it but it yeah. has almost like a mythological yeah element to it no yeah for sure i mean and that's um the weird thing is the mask was kind of um like a necessity thing to begin with because um I tried to do makeup and I'm like, I'm decent at it, but I'm not good at it. Got it. And um, I, my skin is terrible. So like wearing makeup all the time. Oh, would it like break skin out your skin? And yeah. So I was like, I figured out this mask thing and um, yeah. And I kind of like, this is where I am. Do you feel like when you are kind of in like Mighty Bear getup, is it like mm -hmm. a total like change of mentality for you? Yes and no. It is as soon as I walk on the, up on the stage and like the music starts, then it happens. Mm -hmm. But when I'm just hanging out before the show in full getup, I'm still kind of both. They're kind of like part you and part my yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's like a very, there's not a definitive line of, and that's why it's not maybe drag because Mighty Bear isn't so different from who I am like right. as a person. Right. So it, it, it there's it's a hazy zone of sometimes I'm both, <laughs> sometimes I'm sometimes either I'm Beyonce, like, yeah. sometimes yeah. I'm Sasha Fierce. Right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. That's fascinating. So I was thinking about that with then the visual element. Like, how did you learn how to do some of that visual programming, or was that something that you learned how to do while you were doing music programming? Well, the thing is, I've just always been a nerd, <laughs> so like, <laughs> uh, interesting, like. Yeah, I, I get obsessed about stuff and like I need to learn that. How, I, how can I do that? And oh yeah, you're a Virgo, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of obsess over stuff. So yeah, no, I always knew how to edit footage and stuff like that. And uh, it was this inherent need to create something that's fully mine. Right. So, um, and the fact is that I love when um, music and kind of visuals meet together. Yes. And especially living in the Icelandic music scene nobody did does music and visuals together really so i was like well some do but not to the level that i'm i was gonna to say do. well yours are synchronized in a way that is unusual because sometimes people will just sort of like throw on footage yeah and then it's like some stuff that somebody else made for them yeah yeah, yeah i try yeah. to incorporate like yeah it, it fits the beat and stuff like yeah that. like yeah. everything's actually um, synced together do you use ableton yeah. It's interesting because some of the artists I've talked to have like day jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I do always ask people like, do you have a day job? I have a day job, yeah. Awesome. What is your day job? I work as a project manager for the uh, Reykjavik Energy Company. Gotcha. Geothermal energy and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really cool. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds like it kind of like dovetails, like the interest in engineering and kind of like project managing. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. I 
being a Virgo, I love problem solving. <laughs> Despite like, I love problem solving. That's so funny. Do you ever find that there's any conflict between having a day job and performing, or do you find that you no, have enough time it, for both? I have time for both because um, my job, and I think it's very the Icelandic mentality is because uh, nobody lives off of art in Iceland. Like few people do, but mm -hmm. most don't. Mm -hmm. So uh, everybody has day jobs, and um, employers here tend to be really cool about like if you need time off for. Like yeah. airwaves and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but I save always vacation time for like airwaves or tours. So I don't take vacations. I just tour. <laughs> <laughs> Which but, I think some people perceive as a vacation and it's like, but oh. It's not. No, 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 it's not. It's not. <gasps> I mean, it's just, uh, if you're passionate about it, you, you make it work. Yeah. Yeah. You just make it work. Well, and I like that you said that like employers are accommodating because... I'm finding that when I'm speaking to artists outside of America, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different kind of like mores that go along with like having a day job and being an artist. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, especially like in Iceland, employers are like, oh, you're probably going to be involved in the art somehow. And so they're mm -hmm. very flexible. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't sound like there's really any like shame in having a day job. I think that there are. No, no, no. I mean, and I honestly like it because it puts doesn't put pressure on my like creativity right I love having a like nine to five job because it pays the bills mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about that so when I get home after work my art is truly mine like there's no financial gate like I need to pay the rent oh right. my god oh I my gotta god, do to yeah. yeah yeah so it's more like I do it on my own time and of course I respect the people that can do it full time and I would love to do it someday but this kind of system works for me I guess and I think that that's really important to, like, say to people and to have people know that, that it's, like, even if your art isn't paying for you full-time, mm -hmm. that doesn't then denigrate your art. No, well, of course not. And it's, like, I think that some people have that dichotomy where they're, like, either, like, I'm super famous and yeah. I'm making tons of money off my art mm -hmm. and it's sustaining me and so therefore it's valid versus, mm -hmm. like, if I have a day job, my art's not valid. Yeah. No, and which is insane because um, the weird thing is here... In Iceland, the mentality is more that you shouldn't be able to live off of it. Like, we're more like um, You're purist. like, why would you? No, we're more purist <laughs> in a way. The art is our art. And it's like, yeah, it's, tr it's true stuff. I wish people could see the face you just made. I think that's the most serious <laughs> face I've seen you make. Oh, I, mean, I did like make kind of black metal hands. And, like, you did? True. No, but um, yeah, it's you shouldn't be able to live. Uh, you, of course, you should be able to live off of it, but... It's that suffering artist thing. Like, yeah. Nobody wants to pay me for what I do, so I do stuff for me and not other people. And Right. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I don't know if I'm biased, but I feel like that actually makes the best art when you're making stuff that resonates with you. Mm -hmm. You're going to make something, because isn't that the whole point, that it's like you're the only you that can make something? Yeah. So. And there's no like financial gain or nothing that's going to influence what I do. Exactly. So if, like there would be financial gains to this I could like talk to a label and they'd be like no we don't want the mask and I would be like oh okay which right. I wouldn't like because I'm, now I'm like I'm the only one paying for this shit so like <laughs> I get to I'm the CEO of this company bitch exactly <laughs> and the mask is what drew me to you yeah and sparkly so stuff. exactly sparkly literally shiny mm. objects yeah and that's, I mean, and obviously then I like went to your performance and quite liked your performance. I'm looking forward to seeing you like this year, but like that is what drew me in was like the visual aspect of mm -hmm. it. Because I do think that like 
in a way there's like a certain spectacle to it that is like drag mm -hmm. but it did feel like sure. i was curious what was going on there yeah basically yeah yeah no i mean that that kind of was my idea with the visual thing and the fact that i love myself as a person but i didn't want to start a solo career and like be it by my real name and yeah, I'm cool. So like yeah. having a different persona about it makes it so much easier for to distinguish between and yeah. allowing myself more to be because I didn't want to like because I'm a shy person in general. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to like have the mighty bear persona be shy. Oh, so it was a way to kind of like have that persona that you can ascribe like different personality yeah. traits to that yeah. persona. Yeah. That and, makes total sense. And being like Mighty Bear's not shy. It's not, yeah. So yeah. it's like a, yeah. It's like a differentiation. Like, if you were to describe Mighty Bear, like, what's Mighty Bear like? They're not shy. Not shy. Very sparkly. Very sparkly. <laughs> no, and yeah. The weird thing is Mighty Bear is probably me. But yeah, I, I certain aspects of myself that I'm like, Mighty Bear isn't shy, it isn't, but still, I mean, yeah, it's basically me, but uh, yeah. It's so easy to put on the mask and like, nope. I'm Mighty Bear. Yeah. So that's really interesting about masks. And I was thinking, I was like, how does that kind of dovetail with like queer identity, both like in Iceland and just like in general? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the weird thing is, um, Icelandic community is very open to queerness, but on a very superficial level. So being gay in Iceland is still hard. Mm. And uh, more being, like, queer is hard. Got it. But, no, I mean, we were very accepting of gays. And, like, um, but we have that, like, cookie-cutter thing. Like, a gay guy is that guy. So our, our, our society hasn't gotten into the fact that some of us are just queer or weird or more alternative mm -hmm. or... Mm -hmm. So, um... The mask thing for me was more like I just wanted to create something that wasn't me, like mm -hmm. step out of myself for a little bit and, and create a and oh. being able to like create and behave how I wanted to, take the mask off, and nobody would know that it would be me right that's actually that's interesting that you said that because that was like when I first met up with you, mm -hmm. I did have to like text you to be like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I've never seen your face. Yeah. And the weird thing is, I forgot about that. I'm like, oh, of course she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I think I, I used to, to begin with, think about, like, the mask would be, like, a protection from whatever. But it, mm -hmm. it isn't really, but I, I just love the fact of a mask kind of creates something different. It, it kind of, yeah, it kind of... You can easily hide your own ego. Yeah, it's kind of subsumed in it. Because that's interesting what you said about, like, the superficial support mm -hmm. for the gay community and for being gay. And like you said, that it's kind of like the cookie-cutter gay. Yeah. Where it sounds like it's almost like one version of gay as opposed to... Oh, there to like, is. Yeah, as opposed to queer culture where it's, like, such, yeah. such an explosion of different things. And, like, because I remember when I originally saw you, I read The Mask almost as non-binary. Yeah, which it is, in a way. Yeah. Because the weird thing is, like, I've always thought, like, because um, the Mighty Bear thing is drag, but not drag. Yeah. And it's, it's 
me wearing dresses, but it's still, I'm moving in a very masculine way. Like, I, I think it's an expression of myself because I think, yeah, I was raised by women entirely. Mm -hmm. So it's more like an expression of both my gender identities and like, because we have all that like female power, mm -hmm. male power, whatever in all of us. Mm -hmm. It just depends on how much we want to show of each. Right. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was just like Mighty Bear wears dresses, but still screaming like a dude. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, and this is what I want to play with. Like, fuck the gender norms and fuck whatever. I just want to express, period. I'm so on board with that. I know that the listeners can't see, but I'm making tiny fists <laughs> of agreement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. 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 And it's like, I like kind of the dichotomy of that you have a day job where you can kind of like do your structured thing, mm -hmm. but then you also have an outlet where, like you said, you can be like, fuck gender norms. I'm going to express whatever I want to express. Yeah. Because I think that in a way it's like, I mean, why would you necessarily be expressing that while you're project managing? Yeah. And it's, it's just like, a different thing. Like I work for uh, yeah, the biggest energy company in Iceland, and it's very, I'm not going to say, like, homophobic, but, like, I work with people in their 40s, 50s, mm -hmm. and they kind of just don't, like, because I wear nail polish sometimes to work, and, mm -hmm. yeah, I get weird looks, huh. not in a bad way, but... Just in, like, is it in a curious way, or is it in kind of, like, kinda a slightly tell. judgy way? Depends. A little bit of both. Gotcha. But, like... Gotcha no discrimination but i still get the weird looks yeah it, but yeah I, I i'm fine with it and i kind of like it because i want to fuck with people's <laughs> yes. like, i wanna <laughs> so yeah it's a good thing like having that day job as well to kind of it kind of lets me know what like what's happening in society like because if it would just be in the art scene here, in the music scene, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would understand what's happening with oh, the larger part larger. of the part Do you of think the, that yeah. kind of like the, like, especially like the music scene and even the drag scene, are they just like kind of like almost like insular? Is that what kind you mean? Kind of, yeah. Got yeah. It. Because Got you're it. talking to like-minded people all the time and you could hang out in Dublin Reykjavik and like not meet, you would like here you'll find the most open people. Right. You're not going to the suburbs and saying like, the people that are, quote unquote, the true enemy. Like, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's like the it's, people who are leading, kind of the not the downtown Reykjavik life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So having that day job is kind of nice in a way that I get to see, um, like everybody, all aspects of of what's going on. Yeah. It sounds like a good balance, though. In a way, like it doesn't sound disheartening necessarily, but it does sound kind of sobering when you do see mm -hmm. people kind of looking at your nail polish and kind of maybe judging or kind of you aren't yeah sure. but yeah it's kind of yeah it's more sobering in a way but it, it honestly fuels my fire in a way in a yeah i'm doing something correct and i'm gonna do it more and like i like there's this meme of uh like a pirate talking to a mermaid and he's like i don't like your song and she's like, I will intensify the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of that, of like, oh, you think this is a bit challenging? I will intensify the mm -hmm. challenge. Because, yeah, I think that that is the way, you know, I mean, this is obviously my own personal bias, but I think that is the way that gender is going. Like, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not going to suddenly revert back to being strict gender norms. No, of course not. And 
And for me, like, I, I, I'm a very tolerant to other people's opinions. And, and that's what I kind of think the queer community kind of needs to learn again. Like, we need to be tolerant of their opinions because, like, the older generations and stuff, they, they, they just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not hating on my rights, as we're kind of dealing with here. Yeah. So it's kind of difficult talking about it because an American, you're dealing with completely different stuff. Right. That's, that, yeah. Do you, do you deal with like, I know that this is going to air in January, mm-hmm. but I mean, over the last few years in America, there has been more pushback against human rights for mm-hmm. people who are LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Does the same kind of thing happen here or not so much? Um, no, not so much. Um, the thing is like, if you're, I'm going to say like cookie cutter mold, lesbian or gay man, you will get no opposition. Mm-hmm. Like almost not. Um, but yeah, we're finding more for trans rights here. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it's like easy, but it's probably a lot easier than in America. And yeah. But yeah, hopefully we haven't seen a lot of opposition. That's good. Yeah, but it's we we still have our own fights and yeah. like we were fighting for a lot of trans rights right now and what like when you say you're fighting for trans rights, are there laws against trans people? Like I know that for instance in America one of the things that was going on was whether people had the right to fire you if you were trans. Mm. Um like no, to um, dis- to discriminate against employment for people. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we're more talking like um okay. There's this thing right now that uh the Icelandic language is uh, very difficult when it comes to names. Mm-hmm. And we have a special committee of people that allow or decline certain names. Wow. Yeah, because of like grammatically, it doesn't work. Do you conjugate names like when it's a different part of the sentence? Like whether it's a subject or whether yeah. it's the object? Yeah. Okay, got uh, it. Uh, got it. And multiple levels of that in every direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and there's a certain thing like, well, if you were like, if you have transitioned from male to female, if you're transitioning names, it sounds like that would be very difficult here based on the grammar. Yeah. Got it. Based on the grammar. And uh, you're allowed to have basically every name that you want instead of if it used to be quote unquote traditionally masculine, masculine or female. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of fighting for the the naming committee to kind of understand that non-binary people or certain aspects of like would kind of want to have maybe the old school masculine name like yeah so it's more of a and and the weird thing is it's a grammatic fight more than that actually that's something that's going on in america right now is that a lot of Mm non-binary prefer gender neutral pronouns Mm -hmm. which in english is they and them Mm -hmm. uh which traditionally like centuries back was actually used as a singular Mm-hmm. But now, like in common English, sometimes hasn't been. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of pushback because people are saying, oh, but that's plural. It's so hard for me to use something that's plural. Mm-hmm. And it's like, great, it might be hard for you grammatically, but how does it feel if someone feels like their entire identity is being misunderstood? Mm. It's like one is maybe like a 0.5 out of 10 problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your grammar is a little yeah. tricky. And one is like, you know, a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 problem because mm-hmm. someone's feeling like they're being misidentified. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> so it's like... Weird thing for us is it's very, like, grammatically, like, it, it's so entwined into our language that uh, even thinking, like, we have, like, a, a neutral pronoun, which 
this is about like babies and animals and but but that's like <laughs> that's, it. Yeah, it and, and you don't want to be identified as like it or that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it. <laughs> so we we've, we've come up with a new one, but oh, sorry, making that work in a plural thing and yeah, it's kind of like but languages evolve and that's our that's yes. our debate right yes. now on how to figure that out, but yeah. And it sounds like through Mighty Bear you are kind of helping even the perception of gender evolve. Yeah, I, I would like to think so because, uh, I mean, what is gender like really? If you're, a we, social construct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're both doing the rainbow sign yes, right now. Yes, we do. <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, I think like people have all energies inside of them. Some of us have more of something than others, but at the end of the day, we all share the same. Well, yeah. kind of the same viscera. Yeah, and it's more like how do you want to express yourself and how do you feel, so. Very true, very yeah. true. Because, yeah, when I was looking at the lineup, even this year, I didn't see any acts that were like yours. No, true. But um, Airwaves this year was, uh, I think it was the second year that it was like 50% female, 50% male Which artist. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. I'm very in favor of that. Yeah. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. I'm really glad that now, like, this is the first festival, because so many festivals have difficulty with even gender parity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yours also mm-hmm. had, like, the dedicated visual element. Mm-hmm. So I was like, huh, it's really interesting. But the way things, that's just the nerd in me talking. And, like, <laughs> and the things, I love going to shows. I love it so much. <laughs> then and, and seeing something... Oh, your Icelandic is getting good. <laughs> Every time I cough, Mighty Bear is like, wow, you're getting better at Icelandic. <laughs> being from LA, one that sounded so Valley Girl, but I'm not used to there being clean air. True. So I can't stop coughing. It's charming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, um, uh, we were talking about... Going to shows. That was so yeah. much fun going to that show with you last night. Yeah. You were oh. so hyped. I know, I love it. <laughs> the way these, um, they're the only power metal band in Iceland. And they're like, and they're so ador- adorable. Oh my God, they were so sweet. They were so sweet. And um, yeah, they honestly like talk about dragons and fire and... And swords. And swords, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. I, I, and I love the fact that they don't take themselves too seriously. They're just yes. a couple of guys having fun with what they do. Just happening to play really good power metal. Yeah. Oh, which that, is so not my cup of tea, but well, and that's, they are so good, though. They were genuinely, and that's something that I find fascinating that like does kind of appeal to the theme of the podcast of Why Not Both. Mm-hmm. Like, that we were talking about that it's like having that almost like edge of humor and darkness. Mm-hmm. It's like the combination of those two. And I don't yeah. know, is that like specifically Icelandic, would you say? It is. Earlier this today, we talked about like um, Icelandic comedy. Yes. And and it's the same. You We kind of, you have to, don't take yourself too seriously, but you still have to take yourself a little bit seriously. Yeah. But you have to be able to laugh at yourself. It's kind of like a non-ironic tracksuit. Yeah. Basically, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. Because no, you have to be able to laugh at yourself, because if you can't, then you're no fun. Like, right. You, you're supposed to be able to laugh at yourself and, and yeah, kind of have fun with what you do. 
Well, and I feel like because it is such a small community, if people were kind of like almost pretentious and took themselves too seriously, people wouldn't want to work with them. Believe me, that happens a lot. Yikes. No, I mean, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. There are a lot of foreign artists that come here and want to live here and start their thing, and they take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. So we end up being like, no, like, yeah, love that, but well, you have to down. be, yeah, you have to calm down. You have to be able to, like, laugh and, because nobody's here to make money. Nobody's here. Like, we're just enjoying ourselves, and not everybody's going to like you. And I think that that's such a cultural, like, beautiful cultural thing, because people do come to L.A. almost for the same reason, is mm-hmm. that they come because... They're like, oh, this is the place where you make things. And they have Mm -hmm. this, you know, 100% serious, I'm going to make the thing. And in some ways, that's really good because you're very driven. Mm -hmm. But in other ways, there, because it is more like capitalist in regards to the art scene. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't make money, you're considered a failure. There's, like, the whole thing of, like, people making fun of actors who are waiters, things like that. Yeah. Where it sounds like here, there's more of the culture of, like, don't take it so seriously, everything's going to be okay, Mm -hmm. because, like, you don't have to necessarily, quote, make it in that way. No, but, and and the thing is, what is making it? Being known by other people. Yeah. Now, I think make it is more like creating something. Yeah, make something that you yourself are so proud of, and that makes a mark on somebody. I honestly... If some, if, like, at a live show, if one people, one person comes up to me mm-hmm. and said, like, that really moved me, my job is complete. You did it. Yeah. You did the thing. I did, yeah. Because there's nothing more to it than I want at least one person in the audience to be like, yeah, I moved you I in it. some way. Yeah, it kind of, like, made you forget about your day or whatever. But that's, like, the whole ticket about it. Yeah. There's nothing Aww. more to it. No, like, what more do you want? <laughs> exactly. Cause no, like, like moving thousands of people at one time, cool, but... Right, right. But, I mean, obviously, it's, it's like, way more fun when you feel that, like, collective energy, but, like... Of course. It sounds like, at the end of the day, it's just about, like, communicating with other it people. Is, yeah. And being like, here's me, here's you. Yeah. And, the, we're in the, and there's we're nothing more that needs to... Yeah. Aww. <laughs> I was like, that's really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> What would, what would you advise if someone wanted to, because it's such a really interesting like lane of music and visual presentation that you're in. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to someone who is like, I want to learn how to program audio and visuals and like things like that? Like, what would you tell kind of like a younger you? Probably just honestly research and because we live in a day and age where you can find, you can learn anything online. True. There's a lot of tutorials out there. Yeah. Well, and take tutorials and kind of make them your own. And Okay, you can learn anything, but you, like being mastered or something takes more skill. But uh, yeah, you can Google anything. You can and experiment. Don't be... And I would rather say take risks. Yeah, because some of the stuff you're going to do is going to work. And some of some it is it's like epic. Bomb. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you can't imagine how many shows I've tried the visual stuff. And it bombed wow but but you kept going yeah because at the end of the day like when i'm seeing an artist play and they have an idea and it bombs mm-hmm. i'm still like i get what you were trying to do kudos like i respect <laughs> yes. that more you're you on the tr- path yeah you're on the path and you tried it 
and I kind of get what you wanted, but it didn't happen. Uh huh. But that's more respectable because you're trying. At the very least, you tried, and also if you keep iterating, it's like you're gonna get there. You're gonna get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna be a difficult journey, but you're gonna get there. Yeah. Because um, if you're gonna do the same as everybody else, I'm gonna be like, yeah, cool show, amazing. I would rather talk like that was some cool shit. Yeah, it bombed, but I get the idea. Yeah. And it was cool. And yeah. Keep on going. Yeah. Because I'm betting, like, if your visuals, like you said, like, didn't work a few times, like, it sounds like people probably gave you feedback that then helped you yeah. to be able to actually, like, do no, it and the way just that be you open to express. Yeah, and then be open to the feedback. Yeah. Like, um, of course, you're going to get negative comments, but filter out what is negative. And if all of them are negative in a way, like, the visuals suck, then you have to look at yourself and, and be like, did maybe, maybe the visuals, visuals suck? suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because you, you always have pride in what you do and stick yeah. to your guns. But still be open to what you're hearing around yourself. Yeah, because I think that there's a difference between when people are trying to be like cruel when they're criticizing you to be mm -hmm. cruel, whereas if people are actually giving you feedback mm -hmm. so that you can grow what you're doing, yeah, that's very different. Yeah, and it's learning to distinguish what is what and, and taking the negativity out of it and being like, okay, they might be right. But yeah, okay, I'll try to work on that. And, and yeah. Just, yeah. And I like that attitude of, like, if something is not going well that you work on it, it doesn't mean that, like, something is wrong with you. No, of course. Like, come on. Same with everything. Did we invent the veal in a day? Did we did go to the moon in a day? Right. No? No. No, no. It, it took time. And same with artists. Like, did they, like, their first album was their best one or whatever. Like... It, it takes time to hone your skill and, right. and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, and it, even it means... like when people seem to like think that an artist comes out of nowhere, it's usually because they've been working for like five to 10 years yeah. and you just didn't know it. You didn't know it. Yeah. Because a lot of it was like medium. Okay. But they mm -hmm. were like ramping up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I always think that's funny when people are like, Oh my God, have you heard of this artist? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, nobody comes out of anything, like, perfect. No. Everything is no. practice, skill, hone your craft. So, yeah, just be open and willing to do it. And if people are uh, giving you negative comments or laughing at you for it, fuck them. Exactly. Like I said, like the great poet once said, if them bitches don't pay your bills, you pay them bitches no mind. <laughs> It's my favorite thing to say. I love it. Oh my god. I'm like eating my airwaves bracelet in reaction. <laughs> but honestly, it's like a mantra to me. Like, if them bits just don't pay your bills. Pay them don't no pay mind. them no mind. What would you say is your favorite thing that's come out of being Mighty Bear? Um, two things. There's been, like, um, playing the live shows and doing it by myself and being able to, like, I can do this by myself because I come from, like, a bad environment. Um, the other thing was um, when I released my last EP, this is very egocentric, but for the first time after creating music for, like, 15, 16 years, I held a vinyl record that I made. You made it! And, like, no, it was, it was like, a small victory to me, but it was, like... I've always wanted to have a vinyl record 
That's with so cool, my music though. though. Yeah. And and I stood there for a little bit and like I cried a little bit and like, oh my god, it's so cool. But yeah, that was a huge victory for me. That's so wonderful. Well, because then it's one thing to like be creating something, but to hold something tangible in your hands that you're like, I made yeah. this. No, it's like being a kid going through um, my like cousin's record collection. And yeah. Looking at the big vinyls and putting them on. Because like I, I was born listening to music like, mm-hmm. and it's been my passion forever. Being able to hold something as well was like, nice like if something like this will outlive me this will exactly exactly you made it yeah (laughs) in that small kind of yay i did yes yeah oh i can't imagine anything that i could ask you that's better than that i was like that's so heartwarming (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is it's love what you do and if you love what you do these little victories make everything exactly and they kind of make it worth it Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Because it's like all the time that you spent being like, okay, how do I program this? Okay, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Okay, how do I learn mm-hmm. this? What am I doing? Where do I get a cool mask? Being, I've always been a weird kid. Own it. Yeah. Those times where you're feeling you're not doing anything, where you're just looking on, looking at random stuff online. Yeah. Don't forget, that's kind of putting something in the bank of like visual stuff. Mm, nothing is a waste true. of time. I like that. Nothing is a waste Nothing of time. Nothing is a waste of time. You should you should come to America and teach people how to relax. Mm. <laughs> the only reason I'm so chill right now because I'm on my second beer. There we go. There we go. You're like everything is great. Everything is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on Why Not Both. Produced by Under the Radar. It's my pleasure. At Iceland Airways. My true pleasure. Oh, it's And now we're going to see some cool music. We're going to go see some really cool music. This is a fine tradition that we started 24 hours ago. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so into it. (laughs) So down. (laughs) My third interview was with the charming Lily from Penelope Isles. They are a band out of the UK, and this was their first time playing the festival circuit. It was such a pleasure to get to sit down and talk with her because I had the privilege of seeing them play in Los Angeles, actually, the night before we all flew out for the festival. So it's really cool to be able to see a new band that's really on the rise and to get to experience, you know, the weirdness of a music festival together. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Pam. Hi, Lily. This is Lily from Penelope Isles. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm Slightly hungover and haven't had much sleep, but feeling good and excited to be here in Iceland. And yeah. uh, you've only been in what four different time zones? Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I don't. I have no idea what day of the week it is. Or thank God the clock on my phone automatically changes. There yeah. you go. Oh, that that's happened to me where my calendar app has gotten stuck in the wrong time zone. That's happened to me too. <laughs> and you look at it and you're like, this seems. <laughs> Incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> so the first question that I usually ask on why not both is what do you do and is there in fact a better question to ask? Wow. Um, I think what do you do fits nicely. Um, so I play in a band called Penelope Isles with my brother and my two mates, Jack and Becky. And um, that's the majority of my time 
because mm -hmm. we tour a lot. Um, and I'm also a hand poke tattoo artist back in Brighton. So cool! Thanks, man. <laughs> so yeah, kind of. Those those are my main those are my jobs. Yeah. How did you start doing the hand poke tattoos? Well, I actually needed to get a job that I could be my own boss with because mm -hmm. holding down a job in hospitality is really hard when oh my you're God. constantly on tour. So oh, wait, so you were working hospitality before? Yeah, I was working in a pub uh, uh -huh. in Brighton. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was great. I worked there for years, but I. You know, I felt I just kept feeling so bad, like saying, "Oh, can I have like a month off to go to wherever I was going?" But um, so you worked in a pub, but you were always like asking for like yeah, time so off, I, and I was I was I was always going into work and feeling like constant guilt by asking, "Oh, can I take can I take the ne the next month off and stuff like that?" And um, they were always really cool with it, um, but then the pub kind of shifted management and. I lost kind of the love for the place anyway, mm. and I thought um, I'm just gonna try and make something for myself that I'm in charge with. And my brother had the idea years ago. Oh, Lily, you you'd be quite good at tattooing because I I love drawing and I did oh, art um, oh. at college. It doesn't sound that impressive, but <laughs> no, I was actually going to ask like where that came from because I was just like yeah. that's such a specific and it's such a specific mode of tattooing that I figured I was just like oh were you did you study art did you yeah well I studied art for two years um, in sick form like just art mm -hmm. in, in the Alaman College which is where I'm from and um, I was always my style of drawings always kind of been just quite simple line work mm -hmm. never been that you know com it's never been that complex mm -hmm. so um with hand pokes as well like the, st the style that i i started off really enjoying and um researching all the styles seem to have that same kind of simpleness so yeah, i thought yeah, oh maybe yeah. this could work and uh, my friend got a hand poke tattoo off a famous kind of ham stick and poke artist called european sun who's based mm -hmm. in brighton mm -hmm. And uh, I went, I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, the lines are so crisp and clear. Yeah. I need to go get one and see what it's about. So I went and got one and I ended up bringing like loads of mates back because I was just so fascinated by the whole, um, just the whole scenario, you know, it's just at his house and he was, it was all very sterile and cool and clean and mm -hmm. it was just very relaxed environment to get a tattoo. Well, it sounds like such a personal connection too, having yeah. an artist work with you in that environment. Exactly. And he was really kind enough to kind of show me how he does it as he was tattooing me and he like sold me a few needles and wow. some carbon paper and I then just literally went home and really luckily my brother Jack, who I played a band with, he said, you can have my legs, oh. just have them. Cause he, I think he really wanted me to get good because he wanted loads of free tattoos. <laughs> up, up until that point, we've always paid for them. But oh, since then, I don't think so he's paid funny. for. I don't think he's paid for a tattoo. And well, since I started, none of my friends have really. Well, and that's such a gift to just be like. Because I was wondering if you practiced on. I know that some people will practice on like leather or on yeah. like spare things like that. And I love that the fridge is just like I'll join in. I think that this is like. <laughs> 
This is the magic of doing podcasts at Airwaves. Yeah. It's just like random elements keep popping in, and I'm like, cool. We'll probably start hearing some like rock band. Play, oh play yeah, in the someone's gonna like be playing in the in the water closet. I don't know why I just said water closet instead of dead. <laughs> <laughs> that was so formal. Playing in the water closet. <laughs> why am I like this? <laughs> But yeah, that's so cool that he was like, no, literally, like, practice on my yeah, legs. Yeah, and I did, and some of the, well, I've looked at a photo recently of the first tattoo I did, and it's obviously quite, like, shoddy, but, um, you know, you've got to start somewhere, and I remember doing it and thinking, oh my god, I found my thing, I'm, I feel like I'm really good at this, and then year, years later, I look back at that tattoo, and I'm like, that is really not great <laughs> well, you I gotta, mean I still love it we both somewhere. love it you know they're, they're cool tattoos Monty like. has like the whole record of it then on his legs exactly and you know it's special and he's a, one of my favourite tattoos I've ever done is when I did my hundredth tattoo I like tattooed a hundred dots on him in the square and it's this, that game I don't know if you've ever played the game there's a hundred dots in a big square mm-hmm. and then you have to connect little dot to dot with little lines and then if you make a square then you you get another go oh. and he used to play it with my dad a lot and so Aww. it's kind of like a important tattoo but that's really sweet so yeah I'm, I'm really grateful like um just to, to have like friends and family that have encouraged it and my, i gave my mum and dad their first tattoos oh my god in their 60s and stuff so and I love that, like, based on kind of, like, the flexibility of it, that gives you the time that you can, like, take on clients when you're in Brighton. Exactly. And then, like, when you're not in Brighton, you don't have to be, like, stressed that you're, like, letting someone down or you have to take time off or you have to, like... That's yeah. exactly why I wanted to do it. And yeah. Yeah. I think if I worked in a shop or I'd probably have a little bit more of that responsibility, but I've kind of made it happen so that I do it from home and... You know, it's just on my own terms, and I've got really cool housemates that are, they they love coming home and seeing like random people half naked <laughs> in my living room, <laughs> getting like it's some like getting work done. Weird infinity symbol in between their boobs, you know, like one does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and Brighton's like the perfect place for that. Yeah. That's I love Brighton for that reason. Like you can just like wander about and be like, yeah, this seems about accurate. Yeah, so <laughs> my favourite thing to see in Brighton is the zebra guy, who, and you walk through um, the pavilion, which is like mm-hmm. a really nice kind of like palace in the middle of Brighton, mm-hmm. and you walk through the gardens, and he sits there and playing lounge music on a big portable piano, and he's dressed with like a zebra in a, in a white suit, <laughs> and he's like just the zebra guy. He's fucking brilliant. That's amazing. Just like the, that's that's the institution there that you're like, yeah, yeah, he's here. Yeah, yeah, he's here, and he's that's the thing. Like no one really bats an eyelid anymore, to be honest. But it, we have just actually made a music video for one of our songs hey. called Round, and I had to wear this green screen inflatable um, costume. Oh my god! And what I had to go through. Central Brighton three days in a row in the green screen oh are they gonna then like edit in onto the green yeah, so, screen so it's already out so you can watch <gasps> it now Ooh. and it's basically like foot just kind of like footage of us it's very like weird and arty 
but also quite hilarious as well. Mm-hmm. But I, you had to wander around Brighton with us, Yeah, I'm basically dancing around, and I had to, filming it was the most ridiculous thing. I had to just, like, uh, Jack was filming, and then our drummer, Jack, had, like, the music playing on a portable speaker <laughs> behind him, and then I was, like, dancing to, to our song. And it was so embarrassing, but luckily I had my face covered with the green, so no one could tell it was me. But it's funny because... Nowadays, people don't even really like watch you. They just watch through their phones. Uh-huh. Instantly, were people filming you? Oh, instantly, <laughs> instantly, people just get their phones out and they just watch through you. And they don't even want to interact with you because you think, okay, great, people are interested. And then I try and like get some sort of audience participation right, right, going, right. and they would freak, <gasps> just get away from me, and like. It's it's such a strange thing. That like, is fascinating that people wanted to be at like that one layer removed, like kind of see the spectacle of it, but not yeah. engage. Exactly. That's exactly. Uh, it. We're all just onions. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of that because I was when you said that I was thinking of all the ridiculous things that me and my friends have filmed. Just yeah, of course. I'm like I'm like. I shouldn't be saying it because you're supposed to get permits to film in LA, but no one gets permits to film on your phone. <laughs> so, like, yeah, well, you're not going to think twice if you see like a man playing on piano with a zebra hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, I'm like, what have we done? We've like jumped around in the ocean. We've thrown paper airplanes at each other in the street. Like all sorts of stuff where it's like, and you almost have to have like in some ways like no shame. Yeah. Like you're like, this is where we're at. I'm committed. Yeah. So <laughs> like, true. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of that, that it's like on one hand, I feel like in L.A. it's similar to Brighton where people are just like, oh, yeah, zebra to piano, of course, carry on with your day. Where it's like if people are filming doing something weird, people almost like expect that. But I hadn't thought about that of people not engaging, like having that mm-hmm. remove of their phone. Yeah, some some people were horrible. Like some people found it really funny and would have like a little dance with me. Uh-huh. Um, but some people are just brutal. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah. But one guy, <laughs> it actually <laughs> makes me laugh. Like, one guy saw me, and it was blistering hot day, and I have, I'm wearing this costume, my oh, face full, I'm sweating no. underneath. Like, and one guy passes me, barges into me, and just goes, there's that fucking idiot again. <laughs> <gasps> again? <laughs> yeah, like, because he, he'd obviously seen me, like, over the past few days doing it and it's just like oh come on man like you're like oh i'm so sorry to ruin your day i know it's just like so brutal wasn't it like it's all about you clearly imagine someone saying that just oh my god yeah i can't believe that guy was like so myopic to just be like how dare Mm. you ruin my day making fun stuff yeah and also you get i had loads of people parents that were just like grab their child like put their arm over their child and like put them behind them what <laughs> i know just like don't get involved but then you get the opposite and i had like parents be like go on and, and yeah, they'd like fun. shoe their kid to me Aww. and like we do a little cute thing and well it sounds like your parents in particular like when you mentioned that they were encouraging of the stick and poke i was like i was like they also are like oh and our son and daughter are totally in a band together yeah so they're just like that's so sweet they are ridiculously proud of us they're so amazing and always supported us from the very start so i think the fact that we're finally getting to do amazing things like play this festival yeah and you know like yesterday this morning we were in spain and the other day we we're in la and like 
for us is obviously really exciting, but for them who have put in like the trust and 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 the graft of like not ever being pushy. Yeah. It, for them, I think it's re it's great and it's really really nice to see that's so cool like how did are they in the arts at all or how did the two of you start the band no well they're obviously they appreciate music and mm -hmm. art my dad you know will always say oh I played violin at the Royal Albert Hall when I was 12 years old oh. he'll always say it but I don't think they're particularly musical um, but they just love really good music and they brought me and Jack up on really cool bands like um kind of early indie stuff like mm -hmm. um a band called the magic numbers i don't know mm -hmm. if you've heard of them mm -hmm. they're like really big kind of early 2000s uh -huh. and they're like our favorite uh -huh. band and a massive influence to our music um, and a band called the thrills mm -hmm. I don't know, do you remember the thrills they got that I song that's like name. just don't go back to big sir <laughs> Do you know what? I love how you're singing that and I'm just like, I'm like, what would be wrong with going back to Big Sur? It's so pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I like, or maybe they're warning everyone so they so that it's not crowded. I think it's just like <laughs> what I think it's a kind of a love song, just like, of course she's gonna go back to Big Sur. Like we went there the other day and it is It is breathtaking. It's amazing. And for us as me and Jack, that's like one of our favourite songs that has been like growing up and just to like, you know, when you see a place that yes, you've sang it's, about for yes. years, it's like, ah! You're like, I'm actually there! Yeah, it's cool. Oh, that's so precious. I'm like, that That adds new layers to Big Strikes and it's like, I love Big Strikes. Man, you need to get into the thrills. Like, now I'm going to listen to the thrills. They're last, awesome. Last I was there, I was just so excited to go to the Henry Miller Library. Like, that was my big thing. The who? Uh, Henry Miller. He was, Henry Miller. He was a writer who then lived there, and I love. I feel like uh, I should know who that is, so. <laughs> we're training. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. Because I like him, but honestly, I liked uh, a woman with whom he was involved, Anais Nin, is the author that I was really into. And so it's cool. like seeing kind of like where he ended up, like. I was just so excited in a very, very nerdy way. Well, yeah, because you've probably <laughs> been reading all about it and making yes. your own um, images, and then yes. you go there, and that's, that happened to me the other day when yes. I've just finished, I don't read a lot, and I just finished reading Patti Smith's Just Kids book, <gasps> and we were in New York, no! and Abby was like, her, her old house is down here, and we took a little detour. Oh, yes! And I was like, oh, it's the house she lived in with Robert. With Robert! Oh my god, that book is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, I mean heartbreaking in a good way, as opposed to like, oh, it's so sad. It was just like, it's so poignantly written. It's so good. It's so well written, to the point where almost too well written. You know I feel I mean? that when Sometimes I'm reading her, like, I'm almost like angry at how good it is. She's like, <laughs> she does like, write a poem essentially about her going to like get her favorite sandwich <laughs> i'm like all right patty you're only going to get a sandwich love <laughs> i'm like joking <laughs> like, this has happened ever since i like got here it's like the air is too clean and so when i laugh yeah i start coughing i'm like that's how you know that you're from la yeah when your body's like rejecting clean air think, think about how those new yorkers feel oh my god oh my god yeah, that book is amazing. And I think about when you were talking about your parents like raising you on good music, I was like, how did how did then you kind of transition to playing your own music with your brother? Like are you the two that started the band or Yeah, so it's um it's all mine and Jack's songs and I went to uni in Brighton mm -hmm. and um 
formed, originally formed the band with Jack and Becky, mm-hmm. not my brother Jack, drummer Jack, we call them Sowie. So I originally formed the band with Sowie and Becky, uh-huh. um, and we were called Kooky Lou, which was like all my solo stuff, and it was all basically um, a kind of stripped back acoustic version of Penelope Isles. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then Jack moved to Brighton and joined the band, and we vamped it up a bit and mm-hmm. gave it a makeover, mm-hmm. and you know, changed the name. Our, our mum's name is Penelope. Oh, and we're from the Isle of Man. Yeah, and then we just basically worked really hard just gigging like three times a week for the first year, just really like going, getting stuck in. I was gonna say get get things tight. Yeah, we were trying to like at least make a name for ourselves in Brighton. That's, yeah, I think that's yeah, the first yeah. the first move is to try and like get yourselves known in your hometown. In your hometown. Um but yeah we we we've been playing music together since I was about fifteen because we used to play in a band called Your Gold Teeth and uh-huh. he's six years older than me so like uh-huh. You know, he he came back from university and I was like 14 and wasn't really like playing rock music and stuff and he wanted to start a band so he he was like I'm going to teach you how to play the bass yeah. <laughs> and he, he told me to play Gouge Away by the Pixies oh my like, god it's only like three notes the whole thing that's so. so funny yeah so we started that band and then we were in that for a few years and they, that was that was all his songs and this is now like a and your songs yeah yeah it's like more of a team effort Oh. I'm like that's so sweet and like a lot of times I'll talk to people about kind of the dovetailing of like that you have a creative endeavor and you also have another job and your other job is a creative endeavor yeah which is so cool because I think that like a lot of people I've talked to we've discussed how sometimes people have like shame around having a job outside of their like quote art for sure like you get people like, that are like oh I'm a musician but I'm I also work in sales yeah because yeah, it's not yeah. creative. Yeah. And most of the time, people are just doing that job in sales because they need to pay the rent so exactly. that they can do music. Exactly. But then you obviously get people that love both and they actually love working in sales. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> thing that it's like, in a way, it, you know, we have so much pressure, and I know that I felt this, where it's like, if you're not making money from your art, then therefore your art's not, like, valid somehow. Yeah. And I've always thought that was so weird, because I'm like, are you making something you love? Are you communicating with people with it? Cool, your work's done. Exactly. that's the job right there. And also, do you not find that it's, like, really hard to make money from art now? Oh, my gosh. It is. Like, when do you... Do you... I feel like you only make money when you're massive. Yeah. Like, even, I would say, like, of all the bands I've talked to, everyone is doing multiple endeavors because of that exact reason. But if we kind of make a disconnect between, like, money and art, that almost, in a way, like, frees you up to make the art that you like anyway. Exactly. Nailed it, Pam. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> well, it's like I'm a journalist. <laughs> short, it was a short and sweet one, but... Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, man, thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a great festival. You too. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard on this episode, you can like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, and that's on Instagram and Twitter. And I look forward to sharing more episodes with you. Thank you so much.